Dotnet Rocks episode 817 with guest Rocky Lotka. Recorded live Tuesday, October 23rd, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Charlotte! Welcome to .NET Rocks! All of North Carolina is in this I room. Know, it's amazing. <laughs> hey, Richard. Sir. This is our job. Yeah, I'm at work. What are you doing? I don't know. Uh, this is crazy. These been... guys are so excited. <laughs> I love an excited audience. And we love North Carolina. Give yourselves a big hand. <laughs> we are here on the .NET Rocks road trip. This is stop number 20, 20. of 37. Right. So we're past the halfway mark. That, I mean, immediately, we, there are a few breaks. This is the last week of the second leg. We've got the build week off. Right. And then there'll be a 17-day run covering Florida and Texas. Crazy. And then it's U.S. Thanksgiving, which oddly enough, you can't do shows during Thanksgiving. Yep. Uh, and then we'll come back and we'll do f- uh, California and finish in Las Vegas at Dev Intersection. Dev Intersection, our conference mm-hmm. that we're, we're putting together. It's uh, the, the registrations are picking up. Yeah, things are going along. And if you register before November 1st, you get a new generation tablet is the, the words I'm allowed to generation say. generation tablet. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't exist as of this recording, and yeah. that's why we can't talk about it. But uh, Rocky Lotka is here. Give a big hand to Rocky. And we will talk to Rocky in just a minute, but first we have a little business to do. What do we got? Starting with Better Know Framework. All right, sir, what do you got? Well, I have today, uh, you know, sometimes on Better Know Framework, I talk about little pieces of the framework yep. or a little class or a namespace that you might not have heard of. Mm-hmm. Sometimes CodePlex. Yep, sometimes CodePlex. Sometimes a great sometimes blog post. a great blog post. Yeah. And sometimes a product that has uh, come out that people need to know about. Oh. Yeah. So, I am here to bring you to lotka.net, L-H-O-T-K-A.net for CSLA.net for Windows Runtime. Woohoo! <laughs> Which is going to be announced tomorrow as of this recording. So it's already, It'll already out. be out by the time you've heard this. Already out by the time you heard this. And uh, Rocky, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what we can expect? Well, it's going to be a pretty big release because it uh, incorporates all the support for the new async and await keywords wow. in uh, .NET 4.5 and WinRT and Silverlight 5 and .NET 4. That's and a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. No kidding. And then, of course, then it, it, the big thing is the focus on uh, WinRT support. So you're right. able to use CSLA to build uh, applications and, and business logic 
um, really the goal and what we've achieved here is that if you build your business logic for uh, .NET using CSLA, you can just recompile that business logic yeah. for WinRT and off you go. Wow. Well, that's the way it should be because you've separated the concerns from version one. That's what it was all about. That's exactly. And it's it's yeah. really exciting to, to see it come to fruition, especially with something as big as WinRT. And it was pretty hard one, too, because I remember after, I think you were at Build and we were looking around and saying, you know, what? No reflection? What? I can't admit. What's what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like, you struggle with that for a good long while. I, there was a lot of work that went into this, especially because of the differences in reflection. But there's other uh, platforms differences and uh, that we had to overcome and yeah. then uh, I, you I guess your own the, background worker for had to, had to write um, yeah because parts of uh, things uh, rely on the background worker so we had to recreate the background worker with the async and await keywords yeah um, and uh, and ultimately those keywords are a big deal yeah, uh, they uh, are. especially if you're uh, the owner of a framework, it turns out that, that they're like a virus and not in a bad way, but, <laughs> but once you but start a good virus, yeah, well, well they're, they're like an addiction, right? Once yeah, you maybe start, you the, can't stop. Right? Yeah. Because you, you start, you know, you, you pull on one thread and say, Oh, I'd be, this would be a great place to put an, an async await, yep. you know, functionality. Mm -hmm. And then behind that, there's something else that would right. be improved and behind that and behind that and behind that. And yeah. pretty soon you've gone through large amounts of your code and added this uh, capability all over the place. And the end result is you're actually using those cores that are on your machine rather than just sitting there idle. Yeah. And, and in a lot of cases, it's automatic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, .NET does this for you uh, in WinRT and, and even in .NET 4.5 where they'll just automatically spin things on the background threads and CSLA does that as well. Well, I, but this was still in the Better Know framework, but I wanted Rocky to explain that because we're actually probably talking about a lot of other things. So, Richard, that's uh, all I got for that. Well, cool. Who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off the of show 784, and that's the one we did with uh, Uncle Bob talking yep. about the future of object orientation, mm -hmm. which was good fun, as I recall. Yeah, Norway. Yeah, it was a while ago. And uh, John Suda wrote us this comment. He said, I think the problem with abandoning object orientation in favor of functional programming is that object orientation does a good job of representing the real world. For instance, a car can either be running or not, its tank may be empty or full, or 57% full, its transmission may be in drive, or reverse, or park, or whatever. Like it or not, these are all states. Advocates of the functional paradigm often claim we simply have to learn to think about problems in new ways. Maybe. I'm just afraid that these new ways may be times somewhat unnatural and may result in unreadable code. Furthermore, when reading examples on, in books on F-sharp and functional programming, I sometimes feel that the authors use convoluted ways to build what is effectively statefulness in functional disguise. Mm. Isn't it the job of us as developers, or a significant part of it, to bridge the gap between the real-world problem we're solving and the mindless computers we use to execute our solutions? Shouldn't we thus express our solutions in ways that map easily to the real world? I'm not saying that functional programming is a useless fad. In fact, I love the functional aspects of C-sharp, for instance, and I also like F-sharp and believe that many situations exist where it may prove invaluable. I simply think that sometimes we don't have to abandon the whole concept, in this case, object orientation and statefulness, simply because its application may lead to difficulties, in this case, parallelism-related problems. It may just have to be done right. We have to exercise a little discipline, and even locking doesn't have to be so evil after all. Well, we well we just talked to Don Syme, uh, who who clearly the, said that F Sharp is going to take over the whole world. Is well, but but he also said that uh, the that the new paradigm for programming is this mixture, this hybrid of mm -hmm. object orientation and functional programming. 
And in that way, he was saying that, you know, not all problems can be solved with functional programming. You know, we, we do need objects. Absolutely. For lots of things, um, not the least of which is our UI. Our UI is all based on objects. Yeah, I, I still think that I see the functional implementations in, in a specific area, and certain languages do that very well. And I'm right. excited what Don talked about in F Sharp. Oh, that yeah. It now is expanding that scope of, for these specific needs, F Sharp is going to be better and better at it. They're not making it a general purpose language. No, they're not. They're making it more of a specialized language. And I think that's the right direction to go in. Yeah, I agree. So, John, uh, I think we more or less agree with you, but we're going to have to work with both. But it doesn't matter. One way or the other, you're getting a .NET Rocks mug. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight offers intense developer training videos online. They have uh, over 300 courses online. They release 8 to 10 new uh, courses every month. And uh, the topics cover everything on the Microsoft stack, plus Java, iOS, Android, HTML5, JavaScript, Windows 8, SharePoint, you name it, it's there. Uh, subscriptions start at $29, so check it out, Pluralsight.com. And with that, one more round of applause for our guest, Rocky Lotka. <laughs> and, you know, you guys at Magenic make great pizza. <laughs> Why, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. With a little help, maybe, from, uh, I don't know where it was. I think it was Papa John. It was very good, though. You know, and, and thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for, for helping us out here. Uh, you gave an amazing half hour that I think, I almost feel bad that we stopped you. Yeah. So we may have just, forget the show, let's just keep going. Because you were really... Uh, we were almost I, there. Yeah, clearly uh, deeply passionate about what you see as a major shift in the industry. Do you, really, you think it's that transformational moment? I really do. Mm -hmm. I, I think that there's a confluence of different factors coming in to play all at the same time. Um, not unlike what happened in the middle of the 90s. Right. Um, and the transformation to the GUI. The, well, to, but that was only one of them in the mm -hmm. 90s, right? There was the transformation to the GUI. Um, there was the idea that we would boot directly into a, a GUI-based operating system. Yep. Right. That was essentially novel, uh, or at least in the mainstream. Um, the... Uh, uh, credible use of N-tier or at least three-tier development, right? Uh, which prior to that had been prohibitively complex. Mm -hmm. and, and probably was for a few years after that. But Well, it was, but MTS and Java Beans it really yeah, together... Wrap, the they, idea they, of the they set of services to make that possible. The, the, the dynamic changed pretty fundamentally mm -hmm. in, in 1996, 1997. Um, and, and that was the same time at which um, HTML and uh, HTTP also uh, became approachable by uh, your well, the, typical developer. The internet went public and all of that yep. really took off. Yep, exactly. And, and so there, I think you can't underestimate the, that, that set of things that all happened at once. And, and there was a lot of churn. If you think back at the, that time, there was not only was there a DCOM and uh, uh, you know, Java had its protocol, but there was SOM, mm -hmm. uh, which was, I think, right. Apple's maybe at the time. Yeah. And um, yeah, there were other vendors. Um, SQL Windows was OS existed, two. OS2. Yeah. There, yeah. there was a lot of stuff, and, and many of them looked viable. Yep. Um, it also, wasn't clear that the set of winners that went forward were going to be the set of winners then. Yeah, in fact, people no. thought, uh, as you said, you know, every, the world was IBM. Before, you know, before Windows came around and we're going, I'm going back even further, sure. of course. But, uh, but the thing that you said that really stuck in my uh, brain was people, if you had said back then, you know, that Microsoft with their, their, what looked like the Fisher Price interface of the day, 
you know, the graphical user interface was going to replace all of this big iron. You know, people laughed. No, I think at that point, if you look at the probably 93, 94 timeframe, mm-hmm. Unix was the clear victor yeah. mm-hmm. in most people's minds. And, and, and there was some Gartner report at the time that said, by the end of uh, you know, 1997, 98, everybody will be running Unix. Right. Which obviously imploded and never happened. But, right. Yeah, the, the uh, virus known as Linux took over for that. I mean, well, that really disrupted but, the Unix community. But, but if you uh, think about what you know, happened, though, it was the usability of Windows that brought it into the homes. And that sort of made a cultural shift, which then trickled upstairs to the corporations. And, uh, you know, you could sort of see this Microsoft going for that same play now with Windows 8. I think so. And I think the other uh, big factor that occurred was Office. Mm -hmm. And um, because also through the up until 1995, there was this huge battle between WordPerfect and Word, mm-hmm. and between Lotus One Two Three and Excel, and um, there was a third uh, spreadsheet that I can't think of at the moment. Visicalc was the original no, one. Yeah, was there the was another graphic one at the time. Um, oh, Quattro. 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 That was it. Oh, yep. yeah. There's a flashback. Yes. And then next you'll say Paradox, and we'll all get chills. Well, <laughs> sure. Paradox, Fox Pro, <laughs> Access. Right? Now we're talking databases. But yeah, but, but yeah let's, let's stick with Office. And and what it's not clear, even though I was deeply involved in a company that, that basically ran on spreadsheets at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not entirely clear to me that Excel was the superior spreadsheet at no. that time. But what it did have was the ability to interact with Word in a way that let people create Word documents in a corporate environment that included charts and graphs and, that were and data from spreadsheet that were live. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik who have controls for Windows 8 already. They're looking for beta testers for their new RAD controls for Metro. You can request an access code at Telerik.com Metro to get access to the industry's first control set for building apps for Windows 8. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. And even though the underlying technology, that Olay stuff, was wobbly, really, really pretty wobbly, <laughs> wobbly, yeah. You know that that the the concept of integration and consistency that that Microsoft brought forward through Windows and Office, um, really, I think, is what propelled them to be this this kind of consistent target. That but how much favored. would you actually lay that at the feet of Embrace and Extend that? They read and wrote WordPerfect files better than WordPerfect. Well, I sure. remember that there was that transitional moment when WordPerfect did an upgrade and didn't handle their old files properly. And Microsoft leaped on that with Word 5 and said, you want to work with your old WordPerfect files? Use Word. Because <laughs> it would actually do them better than WordPerfect. It was, it was a mistake by who owned it at that time. Was it Novell? I'm not even remember. But it was like there was a boo-boo. And it was that was like the last straw. And WordPerfect's uh, you know whole house sort of crumbled at that point. I just remember mm-hmm. WordPerfect having the most cryptic keyboard sequences to do the simplest things. Yeah. And Word had a compatibility mode to, to oh, do the same, to do exactly the same thing. <laughs> but it was that was that whole embrace extent. It did WordPerfect perfect better than WordPerfect. I almost feel like Microsoft's forgotten that technique. Actually, they've been using the "we'll do it better than you do it." Uh, as a business model, and that's worked very, you know, they watch to see what stuff floats to the top, and then they come out with a competing product and usually crush it. That's a historical pattern, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they came from behind with spreadsheets, they came from behind with word processors, they came be- from behind with browsers. Well, um, one, and one would argue you know, they've always been at their best and they've come from behind. When they're out yeah. in the lead and, and there's nobody in front of them, you get stuff like Vista. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> 
It, it's true though. Windows Millennium. Uh, yeah, is, is, oh, we were talking about that. Oh yeah. my god! But you know, there's coming from a dominant position with arguably not enough constraints, and then you know things went terribly awry. When there's clearly constraints and competition, they do pretty well. They do. Yeah, yeah I, I think so, and I think that that we're in one of those points here Absolutely. where where the the game changed out from under them on a couple different fronts, and and really at an industry level. Um, uh, I think we're, we're, we've seen the at least temporary end of Moore's Law, which I think can't be underestimated. I'm going to argue with you on that one. Okay. I mean, you've got a, a you don't have a point. You're completely out of it. The Moore's Law said. Jane, the, you ignorant slut. Yeah. The, <laughs> the number of transistors okay. in a given space, in a, in a given time, for a given price, will double every so, 18 to 24 months. And that's still true. You know, that density continues to go up. F fair enough. Right. Fair, I'll, it I'll, just moves off of however, and onto However, most people years and years ago rethought Moore's Law to mean that the uh, computing power will double every 18 months. Well, and, and, and one would also really argue that's happening. actually happening. They're just doing it with more cores. And your point is that computing power doesn't double if nobody uses it. Well, right. So more cores is fine, yeah. assuming that I'm capable of writing software that instead of using one core uses 8 or 16. And it's not that... Which most of us aren't. I mean, Intel didn't do this for fun, right? I mean, the, the history of the whole Intel situation is fascinating because they lost their minds back in 2000. Like the P4 infrastructure, which was the thing that got to 4 gigahertz... Mm -hmm. They had to abandon it. It was wrong, right? That's the long instruction set, the hyper-threading model that, that where you have like this brain-damaged cousin of a processor sitting beside you just makes everything go slow. It's like, and every so often, this other processor kicks you in the nads and everything stops, right? Like, but they backed all the way off. Like the, the processors we're using right now, they're based on basically what was the P3. Yeah, like and they slowed down. The like there are no four gigahertz processors anymore. About the, the they've got up to three point two. But I mean, your average your average PC is about two. Point, yeah, two they've point slowed seven. right down no, because they abandoned right. that whole infrastructure, and AMD caught up to them. Like it was a massive change. And the multi core thing is a is a big deal in that sense. But it's Moore's law is still functioning. We're just not getting faster processors anymore. So for most of us, Moore's law is pointless. Then, well, I think <laughs> the bigger part here is that when we were constantly shipping new hardware every three months, marketing knew what to do. My computer's better because I got more megahertz than you. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's so, so. So you've caught me. I use shorthand to say <laughs> to say what's really going on and what what matters, though. And, and fair enough, I'm imprecise. Slap me. <laughs> Wouldn't um, be the first time. Is that hardware that I bought four years ago can run current software just as good as something I go out and buy at Best Buy today? I don't think that's true. I think the newer machines still are faster, but they're faster in different ways. The way that cores currently, there's a distinct difference between the way an i7 works or way Ivy Bridge I, works. You know, not a hardware yeah. guy. Yeah. I, I look at it and I think, boy, my Excel spreadsheet is no faster now than it was four years well, ago. Well, the problem even is we get, into this, my hardware we get into this second slicing thing, right? Okay. It now runs at 250 milliseconds well, instead of 500 so, milliseconds. So if I take my business developer hat off, yeah. which is the one that I've been using that says that things haven't gotten any faster, and put on my gamer hat. Mm -hmm. Now, in the gaming world, things yeah. have changed radically, and in fact, we're being held up by the Xbox and the PS3. Yes. Yeah. Right? Because game developers could build some really, really amazing things for the PC, except that they wouldn't run on consoles, and they can't afford to not 
also support the console and also market. Video cards really have so, got continued to get faster. Oh, and faster I'm so and looking forward to the next generation of consoles. Not because I want to buy console games, but because it'll finally unleash a bunch of PC games that I'm sure are just waiting in the wings for the consoles. And to again, it's not because up. GPUs have gotten faster; it's that they've gotten broader. The, the number of pipelines, the ability, the vertex shaders have expanded. It's the same thing that's been happening to CPUs has been happening to GPUs. So okay, it's a Richard. so it's a bump in Moore's law that requires <laughs> that requires programming in order to take advantage of. Well, I, I think that spe- specific and well, explicit programming. Let's look at it this way: that that if I take a computer running Windows XP and I install Windows Seven on it, it will run at least as good, mm-hmm. if not better. And if but that's better. the statement about Seven is actually a more efficient operating system. And if I run Windows 8 on that same machine, it will run better at least again. as good as Windows 7. I, I think That's, better again. I've found that well, with the PDC laptop. I, I, I agree. I'm yeah. just trying not to over, not to sensationalize. No, but, okay. but it's, it's but, true. They've done that true. work. So it's a combination of the, the fact that hardware hasn't continued to accelerate, I think, at the rate it was. And also, you're right, the operating systems are better. But this hasn't. This is unprecedented, I think, is the point that I'm trying to get at, is that it's one of the inflection point factors that I count as being something that that makes right now such a big deal, is that we're, we've never been at a point on mainframes, on mini computers, or on PCs, where it was possible to install the new operating system and have it go faster than the yeah. predecessor. But the software efficiency mattered more. You know the way I like to look at it right now? Is I, I mean, being a hardware guy, I know that things are better. But th- how you represent those are harder to see. I like the way, you know, if you, if you go, I, not that I've ever had one, a Rolls-Royce brochure. When you flip through it and you look at the specs of the car, under horsepower it says, sufficient. (laughs) They don't publish the number because it doesn't matter. It's sufficient. And I think that's the real thing that we're at now. The hardware's fast enough for what you want to do that the difference between last year's and this year's is maybe a doubling, but it's between 250 milliseconds and 500 milliseconds on anything you want to do. It doesn't matter. It's sufficient. So let's talk about getting back to CSLA.net because I think you're sort of the the poster child for somebody who's going to take an app for Silverlight and WPF or whatever and move it to uh, Windows 8. You spent a lot of time asyncing and awaiting and yes, going exactly. through the code that you already had, which, by the way, you didn't have to rewrite. To, in order to make it asynchronous, you just had to sprinkle some keywords here and there. Essentially, I mean, there's well, that it, lends itself to yeah. design changes. Understand that, like but in inside of CSLA, actually, quite a few things changed to enable async and await in yeah. a way that I was able to hide it from people that have existing business code. Yeah, but the net result is that CSLA.net is now a more asynchronous, multi-core friendly uh, library. Yes, that's right. And then you combine that with the um, XAML library in WinRT is also um, optimized to work on multiple cores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and GPUs. And, and GPUs, yeah. right? Hardware-accelerated graphics. And so they right. spin things onto the GPU. They also have a UI thread that's usually running on a different processor from a lot of your code all, all by itself. Right. Plus, then you start using the async and await keywords to spin things like uh, talking to... Uh, um, well, well, doing background processes is a clear one where you're actually just running code that's running on a 
thread in the thread pool. Um, things get a little dicier when you say, oh, well, I'm async because I'm calling a service with the uh, await keyword. Mm-hmm. That's probably not actually running on a thread. That probably made a call and is doing uh, I.O. blocking. Right. Uh, right uh, but sync, it's not actually uh, blocking port. the main thread, which is the right. important right. Well, and that's the important part. Right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And, and I, always, I think back to um, the late 90s when uh, – the, the VB team, because I was similar to our, our president here at the uh, user group, um, uh, was a VB MVP. Um, and, and the VB team at the time asked a lot of us what our top, like top three, what, what we wished VB, I suppose a seven is what they were, right? Mm-hmm. What would VB seven look like? And the top thing that I said was I wanted multi-threading. Right. Yeah. And, and of course, VB.net, which is VB seven, um, Gave us multi-threading and didn't solve my problem. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I thought I, I said I wanted multi-threading. Yeah, yeah. Well, I and, thought and, and, I had a they, problem that was solved with multi-threading, and now I have two problems. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. And what I really wanted was <laughs> just for things not to block the UI thread, right? Which is, of course, accomplished by multi-threading, but there's more to it than yeah. just giving me thread primitives wasn't actually enough. Right. And so it's not till 2005 with the background worker and, and, and the plumbing behind that that starts to give you an answer. And it's not really until now that it becomes palatable. It's a total aside. I read a Facebook uh, wall post by Don Box. Don Box. If you may, the old timers know who he is, but he was one of the original soap authors uh, of that. He, it was, uh, I, I had a problem, so I used Java. Now I have a problem factory. <laughs> so so we were ta- of course talking about Moore's law and we were talking about yeah. async and await. Oh yeah. And uh and, and I think that you know what you what you did there is what most people are going to do. So even if you are not using uh if you're not writing a Windows Store application, if you have things that you're going to upgrade to 4.5 you know, and take advantage of this, or even if you're using the task parallel library, that should probably be the first thing that you do is sit down and look through your code and say, you know, what's what's taking time? What can I make asynchronous here? And, uh, and, and you know, squirt bottle, a little async await in your code. Yeah, if only it were that easy, but, mm-hmm. but yes, you know, well, to some degree it is because things that are, are not actually parallel, as in are not running on a separate thread. Sure. You can pretty easily... S- just scatter await keywords and say, oh, I want to await talking to the database, or right. I want to await this WCF mm-hmm. call. And it won't fundamentally alter the way your code works in, in a lot of ways, yep. you know, in, in dangerous ways. Um, where it is dangerous is if you say, oh, well, I want to do a task.start and then run some algorithm on a background thread. Yeah. Okay, that not, now you're back into... You're getting more explicit you know, with You have to be careful about any sort of shared state and, and right. deal with... Uh, uh, patterns around parallel processing in that regard. And that's why I like async and await because, you know, it, it is safer. You don't have to do any blocking or, or waiting or, or callbacks or any of that. And typically you don't have to change your code. Well, again, assuming you're not doing threading. Right. I mean, the big thing is already if doing you spin it, off right. a background thread that starts talking to some objects. And, and so here's where Microsoft has done some good and bad things for, in, in WPF, for example, they will try when possible. If you've got a background thread altering one of your objects and it raises a property changed event, they'll try and auto marshal that back onto the UI thread. Um, and, and basically allow you to, 
right? But nobody else, no, none of the other platforms do that. So if you try to use that same code, so CSLA doesn't go down that road, for example, yeah. because then you try to do it with Windows Forms and you'll get a cross-threading exception or Silverlight, you'll get a cross-threading exception. Yeah, right. And so you really do have to be careful um, if you're going to do a thread.start and spin up one of these tasks that's running on a on an actual thread right. um, now you in have parallel. Some, you have some un- now you have to be very careful to undoing. not have those objects bound to your UI. So as long as or, you just stick you know, with async await, you're fine. It's as soon as you dabble deeper, you're going to get yourself the problem. And if generally you've already true, got multi-threaded right. code now, you know, and try to async awaitify that, that's sure. going to be Sure. Well, and that'll simplify your code. It'll hmm. simplify right. it, but it could be a complex process it to could unravel be. that step. Well, Richard, do you know what time it is? It must be that happy time. It again. is the happiest time of the show. Yes. It's the middle of the show where we give away a Telerik DevCraft complete collection to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And you're all members, right? <laughs> we have thousands of members. It's If you don't know what we're talking about, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, sign up. It's easy. Today's winner is Tomas Janssen. Tomas, mm. you get a DevCraft Complete Collection. Give it up. No golf clap for Tomas. No, no, no we, we get a real clap. We usually do this. Way yes. to go. Way to go. Nice one. That's awesome. <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to get an applause from one of these shows. Right. And we'll just and run we that will in. absolutely put this in <laughs> to every show. I think we, we should use the North Carolina applause because these guys are awesome. Oh, well, then we have to. We ha- <laughs> <laughs> well, then we have to record one just for that. You ready? Okay. One, two, three. That was perfect. <laughs> uh, let me take back feel in. So special. Well, wait a minute now. Let me come back in. Uh, well, hang on now. Every every December, we're going I'm to in- give away five thousand dollars worth of of something. To a, <laughs> a little rattled by the applause. I was five thousand dollars worth of technology to a lucky member of the fan club, and we always ask um, our our guest who what what they would do with $5,000 worth of technology. What would you buy? What would you buy? Wow. $5,000. Can't buy comic books. Just saying. But I like... I know. (laughs) (laughs) Windows 8 has a comicology reader now, so I could easily go spend $5,000 on electronic comics. I know what you would get. You would get a death ray for your superhero outfit, wouldn't you? That's true. That's, you know, the (laughs) superhero outfit's pretty good, but the death ray would rock. The death ray would rock. Or a freeze ray, one of the two. Oh, a freeze ray. Yes. How about a Surface Pro? But see, that's what are they going to twelve hundred dollars? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think I'll buy four oh. Surface Pro. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> <laughs> Spread them around like candy. That's right. Um, I certainly think that uh, um, a Surface Pro would be at the top of my list. Mm-hmm. Although I've been watching all these ads for every manufacturer out there, and their cousin is coming out with Windows Eight devices. Yeah. Sure. And so some of those look really nice. You're just yeah. looking at a twenty-seven so, inch Dell all in one with Windows Eight on it. Yep, exactly. Yummy. Nice. And so I, I'm, I'm thinking that that's, and, and I'm a gamer, mm-hmm. so I, I think that I'd have to go get a Surface Pro, and then I would have to go get a top of the line uh, gaming rig with a twenty-seven inch touchscreen and and uh, you know, Not uh, a 3D be, printer? 
Oh, see, now there you go. <laughs> and what's awesome about that is it was maybe five years ago, I went back to the college where I graduated and I talked to some students about career and, you know, computer science and, you know, where, where they could go with their careers and so forth. And the college at that time had a 3D printer. Nice. Which was the coolest damn thing I'd ever seen, yeah, right? Yeah, it was amazing. Well, now you can buy one for, what, $3,000 or yep, something. Yeah. And, and, you know, just five years ago, it was, I don't even know how much yeah, they spent. 10 or 20 but, or 30 grand. Yeah, yeah, right. It was a... A capital expense, right? Yeah. So, yeah, those that's the world is changing and fast. Once we learn how to 3D print a 3D printer, we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Charles Strauss book where he has uh, a science fiction book where he has cornucopia machines. Yeah. And they, they uh, drop them on this planet and completely foobar the economy because <laughs> they're able to 3D print it at atomic level so they can literally create anything. Right. Yeah. Right. So people go, oh, I'll print money. And then, <laughs> you know, that works for like a month and then money's useless because everybody's got all the money in the planet. Right. right. So then they're, uh, it's just uh, uh, really an a interesting thought tale. exercise. Yeah. yeah. Be careful what you wish for. And economies collapse. I hate to jump back to async await, but. <laughs> To me, the code looks more complicated when you start inserting all the async awaits to it. Like, there's more to it. You have to really read what you're doing there. And yet, it also appears to execute faster, which I always find amusing when it's like, well, we've added complexity, but it goes fast. Well, it depends, I think, too, on where your start point is. Right. So, if you're a Silverlight developer um, and you're used to doing all of the callback event handling stuff and then you're nesting and nesting Daisy and nesting chaining. yeah async and await makes that infinitely easier to read <laughs> good point so but if you are starting from synchronous code and then you're adding the async and await yeah. stuff mm -hmm. um it it does make it i you know it definitely changes the way the code works mm -hmm. and, and does i think add some complexity um but you're right it makes it perceived faster yes um and but but one of the ways that it changes the behavior that's really important is that it's not actually blocking Right. And so where your synchronous code would have blocked the UI while you talk to the server, now you have to handle the fact that the user can continue to interact with your UI when that's you probably right. don't want them to. Yes. Yeah. And that's part of why it's perceived to be faster is right. because things didn't lock up, but then you have to take extra steps to prevent the user from doing bad things like clicking the save button over and over and over again. Yeah, right? and I would also add that while it's a little more complex, it's infinitely simpler than doing your own multi-threaded programming. Oh, yeah. Oh, way simpler. Infinitely yep. simpler. Or even task programming. Easily. But I think you know, this ties into one of the things that, that I think is key with when we think about quote-unquote modern apps and, and that they need to be fast, fluid, responsive, never freeze, all that mm -hmm. stuff. Right. And there's this old, old story I heard at a conference back when I was, and, and Ted Neuer, if he listens to this, will laugh, oh, yeah. but back when I was a deck vax programmer, <laughs> um, I went to this conference and this guy, um, you know, basically in my spot now was up on stage and he was giving this talk about how they'd written this um, application that did a bunch of huge number crunching and it ran for like four days, mm -hmm. nonstop. And they, they, provide it to the end user and the end user said, oh, four, this is not acceptable, four right. days, right? And so they went back and they reworked it and they reworked it and they got it down to two days and they you know, optimizing algorithms and all this sort of stuff. And they thought, wow, this is great. And the user looked at it and went, that's no good. Uh, not even, not even remotely close. And they're like, oh, geez. Okay. So they went back and rewrote chunks of it in assembly and, and, you know, just really refactored this thing and did, you know, pulled out all the stops and got it down to maybe a day. 
And they came back and they go, okay, right. This, this is, is like, fast we can this make is go. rocket science guys. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and the customer's like, well, this is no good. And, and finally they look at the customer and they go, okay, what? seriously, what do you, what do you want? And the customer goes, well, see, when I run the command you know, on, on the, on the little, essentially the C prompt, um, I can't let my entire terminal lock up for a day. I need the prompt to come back. And so they, they wrote like two lines of script code that spun it off into a background process. So the prompt came back instantly. It still took a day to run. Right. And, and the it user could have taken four days to run. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's the same thing here, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, you, I, I'm running a lot of these apps, like news apps and weather apps and things like that on Windows 8, which are beautiful and full of eye candy and little things to play with and little animations to see. And I'm sure it's no faster to go retrieve the weather data mm -hmm. than a web page is. But it feels faster, right? Because there's animations and there's, there's basically things to trick my brain into thinking something's happening. Yeah, right? good stuff's going on right now. And, um, and I think there's a lot of interesting psychology to this whole thing yes, that, that's, that's not new, right? It's just a different approach to it. And this is where the async and await keywords, I think, feel faster because mm -hmm. it's not as though they made your WCF service run any faster. Right. But they allowed you to do something in the meantime that gave the user the illusion of activity. It's also not necessarily multi-threaded, right? It's just non-blocking. That's and right. Have you actually studied your code to see how often it's actually spinning off onto another thread versus just running non-blocking on the same thread? Um, CSLA avoids running on another thread as right. much as possible because that introduces way too many chances for uh, concurrency and race conditions. Right. Right. And so, um, as much as possible, I let you spin things off into a thread, mm -hmm. but you have to know what you're doing if you right. do that. And so, the only things that are really automatic, uh, except maybe with one or two exceptions, um, are things that are using I.O. completion ports or service calls, mm -hmm. which are, are not intrinsically on a background thread. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple cases where in order to simulate getting an async service call in an older platform, we actually spin up a thread to call the uh, um, WCF call mm -hmm. on a background thread so that when the result comes back, we can marshal it onto the UI thread. Right. right. And, okay. Sure. Um, which is kind of dirty pool, but um, yeah, and, and that's, that's not in do. WinRT or .NET 4.5, right? That's, that's, no, that's where we're backporting stuff um, to run on .NET 4 or Silverlight 5. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Surfing the web? Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the new feature list for Active Report 6. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support, so that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active reports from Component One. Smarter components for smarter developers. We talked to Brian Noyes on a tablet show on the road trip about uh, the challenges with sideloading. And I know you've thought a lot about this lately. I have. I've given, uh, I've done a lot of research into the whole, because I think this is a critical component of using Windows 8 in the business setting versus right. the mm -hmm. consumer setting. And let's just define what I mean by that. So you have Windows, uh, Windows Store apps that you get from the Windows Store, but you know, you all write line of business apps for your company. So obviously you want to distribute those apps 
from your company that, and they should not be in the Windows Store. They they don't have any business being there. And so, uh, so there is a process and a procedure for it's called side loading. Um, but uh, walk well, us through it. Yeah, walk us through it. So the, the side loading, or or what you might think of as a corporate marketplace. Um, is another way I think about it, mm-hmm. which is, at least this is the, my personal ideal is, boy, wouldn't it be cool yeah. if All every Magenic employee could just go to a Magenic store on their tablet and see a list of our internal apps that help us do all of our staffing and timesheets and all this other stuff and just say, oh, I'd like to download the uh, the timesheet app. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it would download much like the from uh, the Microsoft store. Assuming mm-hmm. you have permission. The w- right. Just, right. All that, wouldn't that be cool? That would be awesome. And and the, the mechanism for doing that is called sideloading, which is a term that predates Windows 8, right? I mean, you sideload on Android, you sideload on iPads. and mm-hmm. right? So it's not like we made up this term. We're just, it's a new thing to the Microsoft world. Yeah. So... There are four editions of Windows 8, and the rules are different on each edition. This is this is the sticking point. Mm-hmm. So Windows RT, which is Windows 8 for ARM-based devices, right. actually comes with what I'm talking about. Microsoft built it for us. Okay. There's, there's you, you basically a little icon you tap on to get to your corporate marketplace. And, and we don't know yet how complete it is, and we won't until Microsoft actually gives us these devices, right? Right. right. But we know that there. this is an intrinsic feature. Mm-hmm. Of, of every of, ARM tablet? Apparently of every ARM tablet. Wow. Now, just to preface this, we are recording this show before build. So That's, by, by the time people are listening to this, listening they will to know this, the answer. You will know the answer yeah, to what we're right. talking mm-hmm. about. So, so the story for ARM tablets seems reasonably fleshed out. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll see the details Yep. You know, um, and find out, I guess, right? So then the next skew up, in a sense, is Windows 8. And then there's Windows 8 Pro and Windows 8 Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So Windows 8 doesn't allow sideloading. True story. Period. Period. And that's they're, on they're, the Intel chipset. Windows that's Intel chip. This and is, this that's is in the version fact that'll come the version that most people are going yeah. to buy at Christmas this year. Right. Right. Um, because it's the low cost version of Windows and 8 that's going to be bundled on, on your PC when you bundled on the PC. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to put business apps on it. Yeah. On, on, Everything on has on to the come win, through the store. On the WinRT side. We got to be really clear because as right. soon as we're on Intel processors, you can still install all your Windows 7 apps. Yeah, if right. You have a desktop right. on your Windows 8. Yep. In other and, words, and non-WinRT. So that is completely unaffected. So all your WPF apps, all your Silverlight apps, all your Java apps, those you can install just like you do today. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. unchanged. But there's no way to get a WinRT modern app sideloaded onto one of these machines. Actually, there is. I take that back. And that is that, that you can download a developer key yeah. um, on the machine, and then you can install the, the – and, and then those expire every 30 or 60 days. So your right. end user will have to renew their, de- yeah, their developer a, key. This is not a good scheme. No, no. For, this is a hack. Yeah. Right? And then Windows 8 Pro and Enterprise are pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, the assumption with Enterprise seems to be that that will be do- domain-joined. And the assumption with Pro is it may or may not be domain-joined. And so if you are domain joined, then you can sideload from a domain server. Um, and what's a little nebulous here, and, and I'm having trouble getting real specifics on this, is that in order to do this, you have to go and get a special activation key through your EA agreement or, or you have to buy it from your, from Microsoft basically mm-hmm. and install this key on every one of your machines. And that unlocks the ability to sideload. 
on, on these machines. Okay. And then if they're domain joined, they'll trust your domain server. So you can do a, you can sign basically with the domain trusted certificate. Got it. Now for Windows 8 Pro, that's not domain joined. Um, you still have to unlock it with this key. Um, and then there's some certificate trust model. Basically, none of it's automated and it seem, and none of it's well documented. It sounds like we have to touch every machine we want to sign. And we have to, to touch every that, machine you know, to in, unlock it. That's in an right. enterprise, that doesn't seem like an unreasonable thing to do, but in a small business... Well, and I, no, think I think it's this, the other way around. No, Small business, you touch all the machines because they're just not that far away. Well, but no, I've, but I've, I think Carl's right because Microsoft's intent at an enterprise level is that you're going to be using one of their tools, the, right. the system management tools, right. to just push all these yeah. policies all out. out. Right? You'll push out the certificates, the group policies, the keys. Right. So you and don't have to touch the machines. And so enterprises that are at that scale that have that infrastructure. Their IT departments I think can handle it. They'll be in good shape. But it's yeah. the small business guy who sure. doesn't know what it's, side It's the means. 50 employee manufacturing company that has a part-time IT consultant that they hire on demand who probably doesn't understand any of this any better than I do because right. I'm not an IT guy. Right? Now, now, you, Richard, are probably going to you know, read through this and go, oh, Rocky, that stuff is simple. <laughs> right. but, but I'm a developer. I read through this stuff, and I don't understand half the words. But it's also not right. cheap. Like the, the enterprise software, the, the config man, all that stuff that would drive all that stuff, that's a lot of money. Right. Like it's, it's the, Even if you could explain it to the small business, they're not going to buy it. Right. It's thousands and thousands of dollars worth of software to load an app. I'll just build a Win7 app. Oh, I, I think that's exactly. And I, I, so I would panic about this. I, I, well, I, I did the, when I first researched this and came and figured out all of what I just said. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, what, you know, basically, what are these people in Microsoft thinking? And then I introspect, you know, gave some serious thought to that because that's, that's a real question, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. knee jerk reaction is, you know, to swear a little bit and say, what are these people thinking? Right. And then you stop and you think, well, what are they thinking? Because clearly they're, their whole future rests yeah. on this operating right. system. They've got a plan. They have to. And, and so I think that not knowing what the plan is, here's my speculation, and that is that Microsoft knows darn well that enterprises and businesses won't roll Windows 8 out for another two to three years. Mm -hmm. They just, we, we won't. That's right. the way We're enterprises work. right now. So they need to capture the enterprise or the consumer space. Right. And all of this other stuff is just noise to them that that they can figure out maybe even float a couple trial balloons right. in fact for all we know this marketplace concept in windows rt for arm is just a trial balloon to see if it works yeah maybe and if it works well maybe it'll roll out to the rest of windows 8 editions and if sure. it works badly they'll try something else because i would on i mean the i want to get those arm tablets for my family so that i do not have to tech support them so much anymore like yeah, these absolutely. are the christmas gift that yeah. gives back to me yes right <laughs> that's because what i'm looking the, at because this whole whitelist model of the only way you get the apps is from the store just basically eliminates the that's malware works. dynamic it dies that's done well even on intel machines i, I installed a, a tablet or well a hybrid tablet for my son mm -hmm. Um, and set him up with a uh, child account because he's 15, right? And so right. When, yes. when you set up a new account in Windows 8, it says, is this um, yep. person a child? And I said, yes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you yeah. were excited about it. I, I was. Well, it turns on family safety. So I Kappa. get a, just like I've had for some time on his Windows 7 machine, if he was a little more clever, he could bypass it though, right? <laughs> um, but I get a, a weekly report of all the websites he goes to. Um, and, but now he can't turn it off on Windows 8. Plus, right, right. he can't install Intel side 
apps. Oh, so okay. He, so it turns off his ability to accidentally install the Google toolbar or other, uh, I, sh- I shouldn't say it that way. It's not yeah. like that's malware, but yeah. all the other malware and spyware that sneaks on in the guise of right. different toolbars in mm-hmm. the browser, he's blocked. Right. Yeah. But he can install all the WinRT apps. Right. Which is awesome because those are all safe. Yeah. Oh, it's an exciting model. So now we should have that for adults where, are you an idiot? Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> I think we're just about out of time, and I'm so happy I got the last laugh. Nice. So uh, we'd like to have you all give Rocky Locke one more great big round of applause. <laughs> and we'll see you next time on .NET Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got transmitter bands by the FCC.